I grew up in New York. Every spring break, every winter break, some kids from school would go down. Now, Disney World was still new at the time, and it was just the Magic Kingdom at that time, but they would go down and visit their grandmothers and stop in Orlando, and they came back, and it sounded so incredible. And my family just didn't take vacations like that. And I was so envious, and I so wanted to try it. And I finally made it down to Orlando for a business trip in my early 20s. And I met a friend who lived in Florida who'd been here and loved Disney World. And she'd bring me into all her favorite rides, and I was just disappointed. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy course, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Welcome to the Dreamer's Moment. We talk to people who are in the arena, chasing their dreams. Try to imagine the ideal career, one that keeps you busy doing exactly what you enjoy doing. How does writing about Disney, travel, and eating at fine restaurants sound? That's exactly what Rona Gindin, author of The Little Black Book of Walt Disney World, is doing. Rona, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, great. So now you're living in sunny Orlando, correct? I live in sunny Orlando, 12 miles north of the Magic Kingdom. Oh, nice. And uh, have you lived there all your life? No, I moved here about 15 years ago. I'm from New York originally. Okay, I thought I caught a little accent there. Yeah, I try to hide it, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, not much. Okay, so one of our standard questions up front is always, do you have a favorite Disney park, a favorite attraction, and a favorite restaurant at Disney World? Hmm. Favorite Disney park? Uh, I like them all in different ways. I like the Magic Kingdom for the whole magical thing. I love Epcot's World Showcase with the different countries. And Animal Kingdom... I can't say it's relaxing, but it has so much nature and so many animals. It's sort of an escape in its own way. So probably those three, if I could give you three answers. Three out of four. Well, that's pretty good. Did you hear about the okay. uh, the, the uh, recent news on what they're going to do at Animal Kingdom? Oh, the whole Avatar yeah. edition. Yeah. Yeah, I just read it pretty closely. Yeah, I just read it, and uh, so yeah, I, I guess I can kind of see that there. I was Avatar wasn't one of my favorite films, but um, maybe they'll make something cool with it with that whole, um, you know, uh, safari kind of theme. I'm sure they can somehow add in the whole wealth factor to it. Yeah, okay. it's not the kind of draws Harry Potter where mothers and kids sort of spent years and years 
following a saga, but if anybody can make it work, Disney can. <laughs> That's for sure. How about restaurants? Since I know you, you have uh, a wider uh, view of restaurants in Orlando, but what about on property? Is there, a, is there a favorite? Oh, there's a bunch on property. At Disney's Hollywood Studios, I love a restaurant called the Primetime Cafe. It's set up like little Formica kitchens in, in somebody's home in the 50s or the early 60s, and they play little clips from old-fashioned TV, old TV shows from those days, and they serve very contemporary versions of old-fashioned foods like meatloaves and mashed potatoes. And they have the waitresses and waiters dressed up sort of like old-time moms, and they'll play little tricks so they'll get mothers to have to eat their vegetables or stand in the corner if they don't, and they give the youngest kid at the table all the power. It's it's fun, and the food is good. Yeah, I remember I getting... Love, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. It, no, you remember getting what? I remember getting reprimanded there for something. I think I didn't eat my vegetables or something. Yeah, yeah, they can let you know if you're naughty, but they do it in a very nice way. <laughs> yeah. And I love Boma and Sanaa have really interesting food. Boma is more Africa, Sanaa is more the uh, Spice Islands off the coast of Africa, so it's sort of Indian-African. They oh. both, just really, really interesting food that are terrific. And then something fun like the Flying Fish Cafe, you can sit at the food bar and get a special tasting meal and talk to the chefs while you're eating, and that's an incredible experience. There's really a lot of good food at Disney World in between the hamburger joints. Um, the Flying Fish is where again? It is at, it's not really in one of the parks. It's at the Boardwalk, the Boardwalk Hotel. Oh. I think it's called the Boardwalk Inn and Villas. Okay. It's, it's an upscale seafood restaurant right on the Boardwalk. It's right outside the World Showcase entrance to Epcot. Okay, now our listeners are probably already wondering how, you know, it sounds like you really have a, an understanding of, of the restaurants there, and, and uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later, but uh, Rona is a, is a restaurant critic in Orlando. So um, how about uh, a new question, and I haven't been interjecting this one yet, but I, I wanted to start getting this one in there because of the Disney uh, listeners, is how about a favorite Disney film? Do you have one? A favorite? I like Cinderella. I like I like Cinderella. I like the music. I like the story. I, I like everything about it. I think that when I look at the history of Disney film, I think there was just something magical about when that one came out. And uh, and uh, I, 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 I've never seen it, actually, which I, I think I've seen just about every Disney film, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen that one yet. Well, you'll have to find it. And really, I think the romantic twist in almost every Disney film after is a little bit of a take on that one. I probably I never thought about it before, but probably. And there are a lot of other good ones. I just I just love that one. Oh yeah. Uh, were you fortunate enough to be um, at Epcot when I guess what I would call the glory years, back when they had Horizons and World of Motion and the older attractions? Uh no. I moved here. 15 years ago, there was one building that's closed now. I don't think it was Horizons, but I could be wrong. Horizons but kind the of... Other, the World yeah. of Motion, no. Yeah, World of Motion got replaced by Test Track. Uh, Horizons, which is um, for all three of us on the Recapturing the Future podcast, which this is a part of, we all liked Horizons. It closed in 99, but there was a time in the late uh, in the 90s when it was closed. They reopened it for a while, and then it closed permanently in 99. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, first year the little black book of Walt Disney World. First off, uh, 
what is the book about and uh, explain it to us in terms of size and, and who is it geared for. Little Black Book of Walt Disney World is a tiny little book that is packed with all the basic information that you would need to go to Disney World. So it's aimed at either somebody planning a trip or somebody who uses a, a really detailed book to plan a trip, but they want all the basics with them in the park. I don't know the exact size. It's probably like four inches by four inches, something like that, and maybe an inch or two thick. So it can fit into your fanny pack and it can fit into your backpack. It has great maps. And we just we have everything in the parks and outside the parks in the book. We have every store, every snack bar, every attraction. And we, most things, we write one or two sentences. And then there are a few things, some of our, maybe our top ten, that we go into all kinds of detail. Hmm. So you can sit home and flip through and get a real taste for what hotel you want and what park you want and which attractions you want to head for. Or you can just sort of meander through and pick it up when you're in Tomorrowland and you want to see the best place to grab a lunch. Okay. So let's say then you're like a new visitor and uh, you mentioned how much you love Magic Kingdom. What would, uh, how would the book help somebody kind of navigate and decide how to tackle Magic Kingdom for the first time? Well, two ways. One is it lists all the attractions and the very best ones are in capital letters at the big store next to it. So you sort of do note to zoom over to those. But besides that, in the beginning of each of the four park chapters, we give a little bit of advice based on what you like. So we'll say, well, if you're really into thrill rides, I don't remember what I put first, but beeline to Space Mountain and then run and get a fast pass for Big Thunder Railroad and Splash Mountain. Mm. And we'll put, and if you have little kids with you, make sure you head to Fantasyland, but make sure you go straight through Main Street and go through the castle because it's really cool to go through the castle. So we'll give two to four different, very basic itineraries. But I happen to, some people really plan out their trips. In almost every chapter, I emphasize not to overplan because there are so many surprises as you're walking through a mm. park that I think to overplan, you may be running past some of the most magical moments in the parks. Right, that is a great So point. if you're running from, from Space Mountain to Splash Mountain, and in between, Belle is telling a story or some characters are playing duck, duck, goose with the kids outside the teacups, it would be a shame, I think, to just run past because it's not on your itinerary. That's the point. It's it's almost like, um, you know, five years ago when you were getting advice to go into Disney, it was always how to get in the most. And then you're probably like the third person I've talked to in the last uh you know, month or so that has has said that don't don't rob yourself of those those moments where something magical is happening and you feel like you got to stay in an itinerary or something. That's nice to hear because I thought I was the only one. Well, I think it's, it's people are finally <laughs> figuring that out. But I I actually had that in, a, in another interview where somebody said um, you really don't want to uh, stick to your itinerary to the point where you're you're missing out on those uh, little magical moments. That's how I feel. My advice if a family is coming to town, my advice is each one of you pick out one thing in the park you want to do that day. Hmm. And you can have other things in your mind, but only promise the kids one each, promise yourselves one each, and cut it off there. Yeah. Because that way you'll get in what you promised and nobody will feel gypped and nobody will feel disappointed. And it allows time to go to other attractions, but it allows time to things that you just hadn't planned. Which of the four, I assume the book, does it cover all four <laughs> Disney parks? It calls, covers all four Disney parks, the hotels, the sports center, the, all the other uh, recreation, like there are 
two double sets of miniature golf courses. There are water parks. There's downtown Disney. Covers all of it. Wow. We pack a lot into that book. It's amazing how much information is in that little thing. Oh, that's awesome. Can you give us like maybe uh, a snippet from from your book or just your own experiences that you feel like this is something that most people wouldn't know about Disney World or wouldn't do right and that you really should know? Um, Let me pick one up. There are lots of little facts like that, like on the Mission to Mars ride. I don't remember the exact facts. Something about how many takes, how long it took the Imagineers to get just the right color red. So what you're seeing in the ride is the exact color that Mars really is. Oh. Um, there's, I'm going to have to flip through. We have lots of, not things that you need to know, just really fun stuff like that. that oh, yeah. I find people quoting like, oh, yeah, maybe I read that in your book. Um, <laughs> I'm flipping through, but I don't know. But we have a lot of little background information like that. I'm just not so good at knowing it off the top of my head. Okay, here's stuff. I just think it's fun to know these things. To make the ride and vicinity realistic, the area is planted with 900 bamboo plants, 10 kinds of Southeast Asian trees, and 110 species of shrubs. Houses are made to look as if their walls are made of rammed earth, damp dirt flattened with mallets. Imagineers spent a great deal of time visiting Nepal to talk to locals about the culture. More than 2,000 handcrafted props and architectural details were imported. Blow torches and chainsaws were used to make buildings look aged. That's the kind of thing we stick in just for a few attractions. They, when uh, when I go down there with my, my friends, Josh and Bob, my brother Bob and Josh, we do the, this podcast, um, we're, we always say there's a department for everything. And so there's a department for all those little trees that they put on Expedition Everest and and just the attention to detail is is probably what blows me away more than anything. That's what's just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> they they <laughs> they just work at it, work at it, and then just when something seems to be working, they change it. I just read today <laughs> that they're changing the names of the parking lots in the Magic Kingdom. What? Yeah, they're adding like an Ursula parking lot, and there there's a villain side and a hero side, or something like that. Oh. Yeah, they they just keep changing things to enhance the experience a little bit. Nothing nothing stays the same for very long at, at Walt Disney World. Oh, I know. The last time we went on uh, when you take the tram, you know, from the parking lot in, um, we got a great um, you know Disney employee in front there, and I don't know, he was just so hilarious. It seems like they're even perfecting the art of entertaining us while we're traveling back and forth from the parking lot. Isn't it nice, though, that they have the freedom to use their personalities while they're doing that? Oh, yeah. I love that, that they don't have to only follow the script, that they're allowed to, to make that ride entertaining. Yeah, I guarantee you this guy was not following a script. <laughs> a lot of them don't, and it's great because you just never know what you're going to hear. Um, you also host a show um, on on restaurants in Central Florida. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, I'd love to. It's called On Dining, and it's on any TV that has Bright House Digital Cable. And they have a, what they call on-demand programming at Bright House. It's sort of like a pay-per-view movie, only it's free. Oh. So I'll go into a restaurant, and long story short, after about three hours, we end up with maybe a, a five- to eight-minute TV show that sort of celebrates the restaurant, saying, hey, let's meet the chef and let's meet the owner and here's some the same kind of interesting background facts that I think people just like to know so they feel like an insider when they go to the restaurant. And we talk about some of the best dishes and we show the decor and it's on all the time. So 
if you're in Central Florida and you're near Bright House TV, you can watch. There are probably two dozen shows up at any given time. Okay. So, so a question I had there is, um, I know a lot of people that when they go to Disney World, you know, from out of state, they get down there, they take the Magical Express into the parks, and they never leave there until they go home. So I, I always think, because I've eaten at some of the restaurants in Orlando, and there are some fantastic restaurants. So can you give us a sense of what folks might be missing when they only dine on Disney World property? Sure, although there are a lot of really good restaurants in Disney. It, Disney actually has a lot of serious chefs that, mm-hmm. that, that do some really good work, which is very, people are very surprised to find that out. But outside the city, there's a lot going on here. We have some really good sort of upscale casual restaurants like Luma and Park and the Ravenous Pig up in Winter Park. We have some one company that does incredible barbecue called Four Rivers Smokehouse. We have um, we have a big food truck craze going on here, like several other metropolitan areas. We have some chefs who are doing really good homemade from scratch cooking, a lot of it locally sourced, and they often get together almost every night, it seems. There's a pod where anywhere from four to ten trucks will get together, and there are tables, and the whole community comes out, and everybody buys their meals from different trucks and hangs out for what seems like a couple of hours. We have really all kinds of things, but right outside the theme parks, it's almost all national chain. You have to go a little farther than that to find Orlando's good food. Yep. I, the area I was in I was near the big convention center, and there was some. Like I remember eating at a Japanese restaurant near there, and it was it was really good. It was expensive, but it was it was incredible. They are all expensive over there, but some of them really are good. There's an incredible Greek restaurant near there. It's not really part of a chain. There are three of them, and one in Orlando. It's called Taverna Opa. The food is really good, and they have um oh, what's it called that Greek? I don't remember the name for it, but there's a kind of Greek dancing that involves. Uh, it's almost like a conga line going through the restaurant. They give you white napkins and everybody throws up the napkins and yells, Opa. And people, I have to tell you, like a third of the people dining in the restaurant get up and start dancing around the restaurant with everyone else. And then there's a belly dancer who gets people to get out of their seats and belly dance with her. And then she does a fire eating show. It's, it's so much fun. Oh, wow. And it's right near the convention center. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like There are a couple of really good Japanese restaurants near there. So there is, a food-focused opportunity in Orlando, but some people really are coming just to go to Disney World, and it's a different kind of vacation. Right, and I and I realize you have endless choices at Disney World every time we get down there, and, and you're mentioning restaurants that I, I really got to hit, but we, we always try to get to Ohana's, we try to get to the um, the one in Italy there, and um, La Cellier, but the last time we weren't successful in getting in there, so... Nobody can get in anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't get into West LA. I think it's because it's the closest of the fine dining restaurants to an American steakhouse concept. Yeah. But there are some really neat other ones that you might want to try. Oh, yeah. And in I fact, pr- that Italian one is shutting down for renovation. They're oh. finally going to change the decor to match the menu. But there's a new pizza place next to it. I don't know if you know about that. Yep. Yep, I saw that. Yeah, okay. It's, it's great, really authentic Neapolitan-style pizza. And it's more affordable, and it's casual, and I think they do a terrific job. Oh, okay. I grew up in New York. Every spring break, every winter break, some kids from school would go down 
Now, Disney World was still new at the time, and it was just the Magic Kingdom at that time, but they would go down and visit their grandmothers and stop in Orlando, and they came back, and it sounded so incredible, and my family just didn't take vacations like that, and I was so envious, and I so wanted to try it, and I finally made it down to Orlando for a business trip in my early 20s, and I met a friend who lives in Florida who'd been here and loved Disney World, and she'd bring me into all her favorite rides, and I was just disappointed. The thing that I didn't love, actually Disney is starting to change now. Another friend of mine pointed out, she said, well, everything at Disney is sort of passive. You're not really a part of the fun. And that's what it was. It was just sitting and watching things. And now Disney is adding an interactive element to a lot of what they do. But they didn't have that. This was ah, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember going to the Enchanted Tiki Room and just sort of being bored. Mm-hmm. That's my whole memory of it. And then fast forward many years, I, I got married, I started my career, I had, like I said, already started my career. I had one kid, we moved down here with a three and a half year old, and I started going again, and I still didn't love it, but my, my son was three and a half and was really into Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And we went to our first parade, and I was screaming like a maniac as the dwarfs came by, look, 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 there's something, there's something, there's something. I, I, so I guess I got a little bit of, of the Disney spirit then. <laughs> and then just little by little living here, you just end up there a lot. There are media events there. There are, um, there's a stuff at Disney all the time. So I found myself there a lot, especially raising by then. I had two sons and little by little, I just started getting to see how the magic and appreciate how they did it. And living here too, you know, my, my neighbors work for Disney. I, you meet Imagineers at a, at a preschool birthday party. So you get some of the behind-the-scenes information that somebody from outside might not get. And that, together with just being there little by little, I was like, wow, this really is amazing how they do that. And eventually my appreciation for the parks and for the whole complex grew. So one of the first things was that it was really through the eyes of your kids that you really got energized. Oh, no, it was me screaming at him, look, look, there's Grumpy. I don't know if he cared or not. <laughs> I was so happy for him to have the opportunity. He was lost in the whole excitement of it. Yeah. I assume he was excited too, but I, don't, I honestly don't remember his reaction. Maybe. And he won't remember it now. He's 18. He won't remember. He'll say, what was, what, what's up with mom there? That probably. (laughs) Oh, she was spooky even back then. (laughs) I'm a freelance writer, so there are times where there's just no work out there. Mm -hmm. Less and less because I've been doing it for so long now that... um, I have so many clients that if one has a lull, there are other things going on. But I wanted to build my business as a freelance writer because I love being a featured journalist, but I also wanted to be home with my kids. So this is a a great career to do that because I work full-time, but I can take off to take the kids to the orthodontist. And there are times where, especially when the economy is bad, where there's just very little work. But over the course of time, I worked it out. For a while, I was writing for several consumer magazines, and I was in Publix, which is the main supermarket down here once, 
And there was a Brides and there was a Woman's World and there was, I think it was a Woman's Day Halloween magazine, something like that. And I had articles in all three <laughs> And, and I actually ran over to a friend I ran into in the supermarket, saying, look, look, I'm in all three of these magazines. I just felt like I like I made the leap to That's... be a respectable, respectable professional journalist. I think a lot of parents, especially parents who, who look at their kids as whole people, I think many have the same experience. I... I guess I sort of grew up in a rigid way and I saw things a certain way and that was it. And as my kids grew, the things they would say or the way they would see things or the ideas they come up with were so, I mean, I guess the trite expression is out of the box, but just so out of the box, it just blew my mind. They, they don't think along the same track as I do all the time. They do in the big important ways. I think we're all very logical people. We're just a, a logical family, but... Uh, they just have such different ways of think things. And it, it's so inspiring to know that there are other ways to look at little elements of the world. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. Oh, I think they're just two amazing young men. They, they just keep, and now they're teenagers and they're still opening my eyes in ways. I just, you, you, know, we, you think we'd be done, but nope. The more they forge into the world, the more I learn. I think you're echoing some of the same things I've heard Walt say. I think that's just uh, that just goes right hand in oh, hand really? with the spirit of of uh, Walt and and uh, Disney World. Yeah. Side little black book. You know, Fodor's uses a team of local writers to put out each of its books. So in Orlando, they have. I know two of the other writers, and there are some others, too. One person does the parks, and one person does the hotels. And I put together all the information on the restaurants for the Walt Disney World Photos book, which is a much bigger job than you'd think. They have a lot of restaurants packed into that book. And they're, they're really quality-oriented, too. They're amazing to work with. And I also, the, uh, the Zagat guides, they have a guide with 40 Orlando restaurants, and then they have, I think, another 40 online. So... Every year I put together their, their restaurant guide. Surveyors actually decide what the content is, and then I sort of edit it all down based on what they said. And then I also just write articles for assorted travel magazines, for the Air Trend magazine, for the American Airlines magazine. For um, There's a magazine called Endless Vacation that goes to timeshare owners all over the place. So I, I just spend a lot of time writing about the best that Orlando has to offer. It's just been great to talk to you and really admire everything you're doing down there in Orlando. To me, it, it really seems like living the dream. Where can people keep up with you on, on the web? Oh, the easiest way is to, um, to go to my website. It's called it's www.ronagindin.com, R-O-N-A-G-I-N-D-I-N. And I have pages for all the different elements of my business there. And then on the homepage... I have sort of a running list of whatever's new and exciting food or travel-wise in the Orlando area. So if there's a new restaurant or I just tasted a great dish or Disney has something really interesting going on, it's all there. And then on Facebook, I have pages for both the Little Black Book to Walt Disney World and one for the TV show. So one is facebook.com slash on dining and one is, I believe, facebook.com Little Black Book of Walt Disney World. Okay. You can Google that and, and find out exactly how to get to the page. There's only one like it.
All right. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate you being on the show. And hopefully down the road when you have some other Disney publication, we'll talk to you again. Well, thank you very much. Next time on The Dreamer's Moment. What was interesting to me was, you know, I was 19 years old at the time and I got this incredible job. And, you know, I was asking myself, do I think I could get this job again? You know, do I think this is a one in a lifetime opportunity? And at the end of the day, I came to the answer of no, I don't. And I could probably find a job similar to this or, you know, better um, if I just get better at my skills or, or do better in my life in some way, shape or form. And so to me, that was kind of the impetus of it was saying, do I think this is a once in a lifetime opportunity? The Dreamer's Moment is part of the Life Podcast Network, a group of family-friendly podcasts bringing a positive message of hope and inspiration. Find us at lifepodcast.net.